Nothing like watching a box on the freeway, wondering when it's going to cause trouble. This is Corey, and this is the Other Anthem Podcast. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Rob. Welcome to episode 347 of the Other Anthem Podcast, coming to you from all over LA. <laughs> yes, producer Roberto has returned, and that means once again, I am stuck all on my own in Hollywood. That's got to be a good screenplay. <laughs> all alone in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for joining us yes thank you for listening on your podcatcher of choice the easiest way i i mean i tell you every time anchor.fm forward slash oh the anthem it's the easiest way to find it the exact link to the pod podcast app uh podcast app of your choice uh and you should have started while you were ahead i you know damn it part, damn it like I'm going to get a little extra. And, I was, well, uh, I was like, I realized I, I left a little bit out and I didn't want to uh, just uh, keep people from getting it. God, I'm all over my tongue tonight. Excuse mm. me. Uh, so also keep in mind, you can watch us live every Monday night during the recording and YouTube, Twitch, Twitter via Periscope and Facebook. We're at live everywhere at OD Anthem. So thank you for joining us. And of course, you can uh, be part of the show right here on our uh, Discord. The link is going to be available wherever you're watching and wherever you comment, you can come and just we'll put it up right on the screen and take your questions live. So indeed, indeed. All right. So uh, wait, let me get back. Uh, we really need producer Roberto, but also, you know, he's back. So that means I got to be quarantined again. Well, I guess you guys are quarantined. I, that's the weird thing. It's like, oh, we're back in isolation. And Rob's the only one who has to stay away from everybody. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, it, it's no uh, wonderful experience over here either, just because, mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, for as many rules as California and Los Angeles has put upon us, they don't really tell you what to do if something comes up like this. Like, you know, like I was telling Roberto when he pulled up, like, uh, I don't know, I don't know how to properly be careful around this situation. <laughs> you know, like, what's the proper amount of respect we should give for the coronavirus without being disrespectful to you, too? You know, yeah, so what like, happens when you have a roommate who is so wealthy they can go on a multi-week vacation, a multi-week international vacation with their family, uh, risk infecting everyone that they know and love, and then come back? Um, it, what do you do? It's really yeah. hard to say. Um, but Patient Cerro, as I'm going to call him from now on, has returned. Uh, so uh, I guess we'll find out 10 to 14 days from now whether or not we're all safe or whether, you know, for once, given that this is just past Thanksgiving week, the natives have infected the white man. I guess it works what we're going to find out. I, uh, I, I got a I, bunch of those. Let me know when I go too far, Corey. Just, I'm going to keep part, throwing them in here. And now. Let me know when I go too far. <laughs> Can we start now? Uh, no, I mean, like, it, and, and here's the thing that sucks, because, like, right now, L.A. County has a restriction against anyone from anyone outside a household being together. Yeah. Uh, inside or anywhere, really. I mean, like, you can't even, like, meet somebody at the beach who's from a different household. Uh, I don't know how you would necessarily avoid it unless you're talking about distancing between people. Like, I, I can't help it if somebody else decided to go to the beach, right? I mean, like... <laughs> Now you're making the excuse that it's not every person's making at the beach. It's not my beach, right? Is it because like is it the first person who shows up becomes owner of the beach? Like, because then a second household. Anyway, it's it's a very weird situation. I feel like everyone just has to use their best judgment whenever they come up with some sort of uh, situation like this. I mean, it, it was a similar thing with you. Like you went home to see people. You flew on an airplane. We we kept some time between us before we saw each other again. Yeah. Uh, Roberto lives here, so he doesn't have any kind of like anywhere else to go to like quarantine this off. So 
You know, Wait, it's one doesn't of he have a girlfriend. Doesn't she have a place to live? Is she there with you now? Did she bring herself into your quarantine? <sighs> I we I we have just, so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> we we all need to just figure out the best way going forward, and uh, we'll 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 get there eventually. I, I, I'm just happy that we've all remained safe and healthy throughout this whole thing, because uh, I don't know if you guys have been watching the news, but it's been getting very bad out there for the coronavirus. With uh, two hundred thousand cases uh, running wild all over the country, uh, pretty much every single state except for Maine and Hawaii, to be uh, uh, experiencing like record highs. Basically, like it, it is, and 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 just if you're if you're watching the video, you see the the image next to me here. That first spike that looks like nothing, like the first plateau, <laughs> like where it first starts <laughs> ramping up slightly, is when we shut everything down in March. Right, An unimaginable hill. We thought, oh my god, things are out of control. Getting up on fifty thousand cases a day, yeah, on on average there. So, and then we had our second spike in the middle of the summer around Memorial Day and Fourth of July and stuff like that, where we People got up to almost a hundred thousand cases. Yep. And then it was four weeks ago at this point, three weeks ago, where we were talking about how the the average had reached a hundred thousand cases, and now. We're way past that. We're we're up to two hundred thousand now, uh, and I, I imagine that we're our numbers are even going to be worse once the two weeks of Thanksgiving basically comes up. You know, like once we start seeing positive cases from people who are traveling at Thanksgiving, I, this is just a really bad place that we're in right now, and I don't know what to do or say to make people respect. It. That's the problem. Like it, it just feels like a basic respect thing at this point, doesn't it? Like. Yeah, and, and I mean, so the other part of this equation is we're losing 2,000 people a day. The graph that you saw with Corey there, uh, that's the top graph here. The bottom graph is deaths per day with a seven-day rolling average. And opposite almost uh, at the beginning, huge big spike at the beginning, and then we got a handle on it, and then there was about the same and what they said was, oh, well, we expect that, that the waves that will hit of cases won't be as bad on deaths because now we know what we're getting into, right? Except for the cases are hitting so hard and so fast that we are overwhelming our ability to actually deal with the crisis. So uh, California is at near 100% max on ICU beds. Yeah, and I mean, uh, one thing to consider there, like at, at the first spike where it was coming up on 50,000 cases and we thought it was it was the very beginning of the pandemic, we were also not prepared with the number of hospital beds or the treatment that we would give to people. Like being the first people in kind of put you in a real bad position because it slammed hospitals, they weren't expecting it, and we didn't know how to treat people necessarily. We've gotten right. better at at the therapeutics and being able to treat people and keeping people who are you know on ventilators alive, people who are getting close to a ventilator, off a ventilator. Like there's a lot of good that's being done here to keep deaths down as much as humanly possible. But if the whole system gets slammed again, we're just going to have what happened in Italy where people were dying in hallways because there was no place to put them. like, you know, this is the this is the nightmare scenario where it's not just about like, oh, God, you get a coronavirus and maybe you are knocked out for like two weeks or something like that. This is this is way worse because at a certain point, people who would be able to be cured in the hospital won't be able to be cured in the hospital, but rather just die because they can't be attended to. That's that's very there's no way around the the catastrophic levels of death that could follow 
coming into the beginning of the year. Well, and and unlike <clears throat> unlike the first wave, this one we are seeing forty percent of the people who are getting new infections now are frontline workers like nurses, uh, workers in nursing homes, uh, police, fire, uh, paramedics. So they it's getting to the point where one they're getting exhausted because there has been no break. It's just been like these lulls, but not really so that everyone can recover. It's never hit zero. That, yeah. I'm looking at the graph. It's never hit zero. So we've just be basically like given them a little time off. Like, okay, no more double shifts. No more back-to-back doubles. You're back to your regular working schedule. But we can't have you take vacation or days off. We still need you to work all the time. Well, not and only that, but like, doubles. you know, like any, any, everyone has a job where at some point it gets busy, you know, like yeah. maybe you work retail and right around the holidays, things just get really nuts. And maybe you have to work on Black Friday. Uh, well, now it shouldn't because people should oh, be staying home. Oh, I know, but hypothetically, years passed in the, in the olden days. Uh, but the the idea that the the especially the people who are working like frontline medical field positions are like you know essentially doing a Black Friday shift every single day for the yeah. last ten months, and there's nothing that that any of us can do to like. Slow it down. Like, if everyone just stayed home, like, literally didn't go out for anything other than the absolute necessary essentials, we could we could still get a handle on this thing. But nobody seems to want to, A, do that, or B, like, think about, in the construct, anybody else other than themselves. Well, it's interesting you say, Corey, because you say, uh, you know, in years past, in the olden times, <laughs> and uh, I know you can see the screen that we're looking at here. This is the olden times. This is Thanksgiving, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving 2019. And as you can see, air traffic, insane. So obviously when we compare that, uh, hang on, let me get to my uh, my screen here. Uh, where am I? Here, four, five, uh, five. So we compare that to this, which is Thanksgiving Tuesday before Thanksgiving of 2020, yeah. you can see such a large difference between those two pictures that it's just crazy. Sorry, I'm trying to get back to you. <laughs> it, yeah. It's it's uh, I just don't get it. Like, it, it, oh, and I know I've said that a lot, but but this one in particular so, sort of seems like uh. There were certain people who were at at different times were trying to inspire people with the idea that we're we're through the worst of it, like we're on the downslope of this, right? Uh, we're rounding the corner. Right? We're rounding the corner, and and whether or not you you know like we're believing it in a sense like this is just mysterious or miraculously going to go away, or we're going to be closer to a vaccine than we were to the beginning, like which is where I think most people were like with the positivity. Like I know, I I heard John Taffer talking about it, where is this like, uh, uh, we're closer to the end where the vaccine is than we were to the beginning. Uh, hmm. So if you think about it, like we're already past most of the worst of it, and there's still a lot to go. But if we can put our heads down and know that we're closer to the end than we were to the beginning, we can psychologically get ourselves through this and figure out a way to set ourselves up for when everything gets back to normal, right? Except. We're not, though, oh, because I, for most average people, you're not going to get a vaccine until quarter three, quarter four of 2021. So right. Hi, you're away from that. Hypothetically. Yes, I know. But I'm saying, like, even if you're looking at it in the most optimistic levels possible, right? Like, why go home for Thanksgiving? If there's a chance that you could be getting the vaccine 
Like for me, from like my birthday, if like April, I could get the vaccine and then life essentially for me is back to normal. You know, I, I go home right away. Like it's just I, I delayed Thanksgiving by five months. Like it's not like I <laughs> I'm never going to see my family again. Like I, I, I feel relatively positive now at this point that we're closer to life back to normal than we were from the beginning. And whether or not that turns out to be true or whether or not it's like, you know, uh, everyone's not vaccinated until this time next year. Like it still feels like there's more of a chance that we're closer to normal this time or, you know, Thanksgiving next year, you know? Well, listen, I said, though, if this wave, if this graph keeps going up the way that it's going up, uh, we may get herd immunity after all, (laughs) because much like the murder rate in Baltimore, there's not that many people. If you keep killing them off at the rate that you're killing them off, eventually there just won't be people in Baltimore. I mean, the rate will go down to the point where we killed 100 people. The homicide rate was this year. We killed 100 people, and that was the last 100 people in the city of Baltimore. (laughs) There was only 200 people. 100 of them killed the other 100. Uh, We were able to lock up five of that 100 on their murder cases uh and the other 100 are dead so now we're down to 95 people in the city of baltimore uh, congratulations uh, but i mean it's it's we are there are 200,000 new cases every single day yeah one in 140 people in california is infected right now in los angeles in los angeles sorry in los angeles and two two thousand people a day are dying and I was looking for a metaphor or a simile to use for 2,000 people dying per day, and there are none, except for war. And even war is a bad example, because there were days during warfare where you lost 2,000 a day, like the invasion of Omaha Beach. Yeah. But it didn't go consistently 2,000 a day every day for a long period of time. Yeah, you're, you're, you're basically that. talking about it in, like, the averages more than anything. Yeah. <laughs> like, what... Uh, and you brought up the number of like one out of 140 something people in Los Angeles, like is positive right now, whether they know it or not. That was like sort of the the guesstimate. So yeah. if you're a person who lives in Los Angeles, like Rob and I, you have to sort of think about this in terms of like, I'm going to run into a certain number of people in a day because there's no way you can like knock it out to zero. You know, like I went to all I've done in the last 24 hours here. I did run out for lunch, but I didn't actually like get close to anybody but like within my own building in the last 24 hours well, you got close to me at lunch <laughs> during uh in the last 24 hours in my building i passed somebody in the hallway who wasn't wearing their mask i mm-hmm. <laughs> was on the elevator and three people without their mask were trying to get on so i got off the elevator to avoid them uh i got home and somebody was on the elevator without a mask so i waited until they got off the elevator before i got on the elevator like th- there's a lot of like I don't even feel like I need to run into 140 people to run into the person who has it. You know, like I feel like the numbers are way higher than that. And a month ago they were projecting it was like one in out of every 800 people had it or something like that, which felt like more like, Oh, I'm not going to run into 800 people. Like like, what am I going to do? Like go to, go to some of those mega churches that are allowed to be open. Like it's the, the problem though is that it's like when you buy a red car and then all you see is red cars. Mm hmm. You don't think about all the people you've passed that have their masks on because you're just like, oh, safe, 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 asshole, asshole without a mask. Why would you be out without a mask right now? And it just sticks in your head all those people who don't have masks on. But and that's the thing is like you may have passed 140 people and 
maybe not 140. That's probably a little high, but you maybe passed like 50 people and four of them didn't have masks on. Well, there's just a really low intelligence quotient of people who live in your building. I mean, they're USC students for the most <laughs> part after all. So I can't uh, imagine that they're that bright. Um, but they're all they're all uh, Lori Laughlin's kid. I mean, you know, apparently <laughs> they're not here for the school and they're just here for the the experience of college. I mean, to be fair, I did get into USC. I chose not to go there. I, I mean, to but, be fair, I went to school for the experience of college. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I just don't, I don't understand. Uh, they call on the news this morning, they called it the Thanksgiving tsunami because we keep calling it waves. But when you see a wave, what you see is a, a peak and a trough and then a peak and a trough. And we're not getting that. We are getting like a small peak and then a lesser point that we can call a trough and then it goes up higher than it was at the last peak and then it goes lower but the low point is not as low as the peak was for the first peak and now we're going back up to the top and it's like this is just how a tsunami comes in it's like it hits you and then it hits you with a bigger wave and it hits you with a bigger wave and the water level just never goes down and we're, it's going mean, to get worse and worse and worse pull up pull up the picture of the case count i mean like you know, we never even had a crest on the first wave. Like, it basically just plateaued up until the crest of the second spike. But, I mean, it looks more like a fucking mountain range in Utah than it does, like, you know, like. Yep, that's it. I mean, like, if you look at, like, where the the, the arrowed out, the limited testing meant that uh, mass, most infections were not confirmed during this wave. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, so the numbers were higher than they were, like, you know, actually tested for at that time. But, like, look at the numbers from that point on. Like, it doesn't significantly go lower. It just all of a sudden goes up. Like, I remember when we were on the backside of that and they were saying, like, oh, here we go. We're, we've rounded the turn. We're going to get control of this thing. And then disease experts were saying, no, fall. We're going into fall. It's yeah. going to be bad. And here we are, this huge spike. And the, uh, the number is dipping at the end. So uh, if you can see, the very far right of the graph does seem to be heading downward. But uh, again, one thing that I read about today was a concern that a lack of testing during the Thanksgiving actual holiday, the Thursday, the Friday, the Saturday, is going to cause numbers to lower and everyone to be like, oh, see, wasn't such a big deal. And then when the positivity rate from the five days later, seven days later from the holiday actually hits, it's going to spike even up higher than it is. Well, Deborah Burks, and regardless of what you think of her as a person, has said and this is one of the more striking comments i think i've heard especially from somebody who is like on the right side of the coronavirus issue here is that if you went somewhere for thanksgiving if you met with friends you should just assume that you're positive and you should start quarantining right away which is a far cry from where we were earlier on in this whole thing where they wanted to minimize it as much as humanly possible. She's more or less saying that, like, you know, hey, if you saw somebody from outside of your household, there's a pretty good chance you're sick, so maybe not go anywhere if you can avoid it. Like, you know, that that's harder than we've heard from from a lot, from her specifically, but from a lot of people on her team, you know, the coronavirus team. Like, obviously, I mean, we're going to hear from them for months, but, like... It means stronger advice just to get ignored because I, I saw more people out today on my brief jaunt to the office mm-hmm. than uh, I saw previously. Uh, less uh, tourists, but in the regular, like, hey, people who live here sections of Hollywood. Yeah. Just as many people out. Um, so maybe the tourists won't be here, but it, just restaurants still have people in them. 
the secrets, the secret places where you can go and sit inside and eat, which you know about if you live here. Um, yeah, those are still there, and people are still sitting in them. So yeah. Uh, so these rules, which uh, the new update to our fantastic LA stay-at-home order, um, which <laughs> Corey and I discussed. This is sarcasm much? Our pre-show call. It, I. I don't believe Corey has this fundamental belief and, and I don't want to misquote you. So uh, just you think that there is some science behind it, but that the people who are kind of putting it out, the policy out there are like, all right. So what you're saying is 23.9% is the percentage that we need to limit it at in order to make sure the numbers go down. So I'm going to make it 20 because well, the I, policymaker is not the scientist. I don't even know if there's like a science behind it per se but i feel like at some to get these numbers you have to like come from some sort of like scientific position i guess right yeah and then you're just drawing everything based off of like these introductory conclusions that end up being the baseline that you judge the rest of your your pandemic through so like at the beginning we had the full stay at home order like everyone stay home don't go out if you if you can't blah 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 uh, all stores are closed, all bars, all restaurants, everything is closed unless it's pickup or delivery. Um, and then the restrictions started getting loosened, right? And then it was like, oh, retail at 50%, right? So clearly in their head they were saying that a normal retail store might have 300 people in it. If we can limit it to 150, then the chances of one person being there and exposing all 149 other people in the store is a lot less than if there's 300 people in the store and that person gets 50 people. Like, you know, they're starting to do some sort of calculus as to like, where do we need to be in terms of percentage of people in a place? And then that that becomes like 800 sick people. And now it's one in 140 sick people. Right. So, but I mean like it's, it, it feels arbitrary like it just feels like they they just picked out a number based off of like what got them to the number that felt like it would be safe enough to explain to people or like it's just it's very all the fact that we have a a overnight curfew which just affects businesses essentially (laughs) like you know like we're not supposed to be out past the curfew but you know, there's nothing that can really stop you from going somewhere if you want to. Like, you mm-hmm. know, the sheriff isn't going to pull you over and, and write you a ticket, you know, or like anything like that. And I, I think there is a legal argument that they can't stop the homeless. And I don't think yes. they can ask for much proof of that. So if I just wanted to walk around all night and then some police officer stopped me, said, hey, why are you out? There's a curfew going on. And I say I'm homeless. What can they really say to that, <laughs> to that argument? I, I, like, I will also tell you. Having been more of a night owl in this area, mm-hmm. the late night crew are generally the safer crew, too. When I'm at CVS at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's all masks. Most of us have gloves on. We're all keeping distant from each other. It's the 5 p.m. crew that are piling bodies in there. And, like, the liquor aisle has 40 people in it. And I walk in there and say, nope. And I turn yeah. and walk back out. And I'm like, I'll come back at 2 a.m. when there's nobody here. And... So I don't understand the overnight curfew. Either. I, I get it. It's supposed to keep people out of bars, but it hasn't done that. Maybe this new thing about shutting down the restaurants and, and limiting retail to 20% or sorry, 35% instead of 50% for essential retail, non-essential retail is 20% rather than 25% personal care services. So like cutting your hair and doing nails are at 20% of maximum occupancy 
fitness centers, but only those who are doing stuff outside because insides are still closed are at 50% of maximum. Now, most of those people weren't doing anything outside. So they set their maximum during COVID and then now they can do 50% of whatever made yeah, up there, maximum. There was that gym that we passed on Sunset. Uh, not to, I think it was Friday or something like that. Yeah. Where they had all the people working out outside, but they were all close to one another. They were, they were wearing masks, but I mean, like, you know, it seemed like you just put a hundred people inside of a tennis court and said, have fun. <laughs> like, no, no, but you put them outside and, you, and then somebody comes and asks you like, well, our, our out maximum outside occupancy is 300. So, I mean, <laughs> right now we're at a hundred. We're well below 50%. Um, and it's like, who's going to call you on it? Like, it doesn't matter. Well, and we've, we've discussed this before. Like, I, I don't want to be the person who's saying that this restaurant is not safe and this one yeah. is, but like, I think the consumer has a pretty good idea of like what seems safe to them. And, no, and I disagree with that. They do not. People are some, dumb. Some people do. I, I guess let me put it this way. I think some people are making distinctions about like what restaurants they feel like they can go to. But then some people who are just like, fuck the rules are just going wherever they want. And they're yeah. the people who are always at like, you know, these out, like these places that are basically in the bike lane on 7th Street, like which is like. I you could, would get all the diseases if you if you tried if you stood around there for too long even pr- prior to COVID you know like it's say, just in the air COVID, you stand on Seventh Street and it's just like a just a, a biohazard area I don't know Seventh Street was one of the type of places where you're kicking the the crosswalk because you don't actually touch it with your hand like that's exactly right but I, it's just, I've given some Shawn Michaels kicks to some crosswalk buttons to avoid. There touching whatever people, the hell it was there are people who show us why seatbelt laws are a thing because generally speaking i don't wear a seatbelt because i don't care uh i'm a nihilist and i think this is all simulation and uh my brother told me a story once about somebody who burned up in their car and i've done the math in my head and said i would rather be ejected from my car than trapped in it and burning to death mm-hmm. so that's a math i make in my head but there are people who are just like, uh, I don't understand seatbelt and uh, I'm just not going to wear it. Um, there are people that like reasons we have helmet laws because people don't uh, know how to ride a bike and they still get on a bike and they get in a bike lane and they wander and meander all in and out of traffic, which is stuff I see pretty regularly on my scooter. Like I saw a guy learning to ride a bike. He His buddy was riding a bike next to him, holding the seat of his bike, and they're both in the bike lane. And I'm like, somebody is going to die. There is no way that doesn't end without a fatality. And those people are the reason that we just need to say, close it down, because you cannot make responsible decisions. Well, and the, delivery only the things you really need to to shut down are all the people who are having like parties up in the hills and stuff like that or like renting out an Airbnb and throwing some party in it. Like the you know, I, I don't know how you necessarily solve some of these problems, but, you know, saying that an arbitrary 20 percent on a retail location is you know like and if you look like you know based off of the numbers and this is the worst thing too because i'm not trying to like blanket defend restaurants here because clearly something is happening but we can't draw any clear clear lines to it but like by the numbers people who claim that they got sick at a particular place it's mostly very low on restaurants and it's like mostly chain places yeah but you know there's no contact tracing so there's no way there's no way you can say that me riding by this place on 7th street on a scooter got me coronavirus because i didn't actually go to the restaurant you know like i just inhaled somebody's breathing while i went by and like that was it you know yeah and 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 
the way that we do the way that we solve this is 20 years ago we start making infectious disease uh something that we focus on when when the first people said hey listen global warming and a connected economy mean this is going to be a bigger issue and also by the way having 12 people live in a three-bedroom apartment because la rent is unbelievable yeah. is a problem and we need to address it because right now I know people who are in living situations that are in violation of the LA stay at home order. Cause they got like two people living in the living room with yeah. a sheet hanging between them. And they're like four people in a bedroom. And it's just like, how can we split this rent one more way to get another body in here? And you got 12 people in a three bedroom. Like, okay. But that's his rent has been not now, but is historic has historically been ridiculous. Luckily it looks like most of those people are leaving. So rent's going to be <laughs> better. Um, but, you know, just the, the, some of this stuff doesn't make sense. It, it, again, it seems arbitrary. Maybe there's some science behind it. But I am at the point now where I'm saying just shut it down and do what we should have done the first time. Shut everything down. Shut the whole country down. Have the government just say for three weeks, listen, business owners, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell the states, we're going to states, we're going to give you money. You, we want you to tell building owners that you're going to give them a break on their uh, property taxes. If they give their rentees a break on the rent, you'll get a break on the rent. Everybody gets a check to stay at home. Everybody go get food for three weeks and then just lock yourself in and let's just lock in for three weeks and shut it all down and kill this thing out. Cause here, it's the only thing that's going to work here. Here's where I feel the problem might be. And that is that uh, just recently, well, this, this beyond that, uh, just recently, the Dow hit 30,000. Yeah. Uh, and if you remember at the beginning of Trump's term, we talked about it hitting 25,000. Yeah. Which was in terms of, of the stock market. An unheard of number like Wilt Chamberlain scored 100 points in a basketball game. No one's gotten anywhere close to that since. So it would be like if. You heard that LeBron James scored 150 points in a basketball game. You'd be like, oh, my God. He Not only did he crush an unbelievable record, but he did it with, like, room to spare. Yeah. And then people will start saying, like, well, clearly, we're never going to get past 150 points in a game. That was an unbelievable outlier, and there's no way it could happen again. And then the next season, LeBron James scores 200 points in a single basketball game. More, than, more points than had been scored... By a team, in many cases, in yep. uh, in basketball history, he scored all by himself, and he's he's crushed the record again. Not only has he has he has he broken the hundred point barrier, but he's now doubled it in his his next record. Uh, the, to people who who think of it just as sort of like arbitrary numbers, they say like, "Oh my God, the economy is going incredible." But the problem is that like it is all being held together by strings at the moment, and. One of the it's big not even strings. It's somebody telling you there are strings there and not having to prove that there are strings there. I mean, like, you know, we, we've been talking about the number of people who are on def like in default or like basically at the point where they're going to get kicked out of their apartments the second that they're <laughs> legally allowed to be able to get, get kicked out. Yep. Um, you know, there there is no safeguard in place to to help anybody. And if I, I don't care if the Dow's at 30,000. It's going to fall a lot if all of a sudden there's 30% of people who are homeless. Like, And like, using a LeBron example, it's important to keep in mind that the year that he hits 150 is also the year there's a rule change where a dunk is worth three and from outside the arc is now worth seven. And you're like, yeah. oh, well, 
Well, that's why he hit 150. Wilt was hitting twos and threes, and LeBron's hitting threes, threes and sevens. And sevens. <laughs> like, so clearly it was much easier. And then the next year they changed it again, and it's five and ten. Yeah. So yeah, of course he's going to hit. Well, the Dow hitting 30,000, great. Except for when it hit 20,000 in the, the 80s and early 90s, our inflation net level is ungodly next to what the dollar was worth even then. And then it was already inflated way above what it had been worth in the 30s and the 20s. So it's, it's dollars to donuts, honestly. There's no almost no comparison between the two of them. And Yeah, and I mean like the, the only person – go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say there, there's no – there's no way of looking at the Dow and saying this is how healthy the American economy is at the moment. Exactly. It's it's yeah. how healthy the portfolios of the people who can afford to have money in the stock market are at the moment. Because, right. it, you know, before you used to get like a paltry little dividend and stuff like that. Like, you know, you, you have a couple shares of Procter & Gamble and maybe every quarter or so you get 50 to 100 bucks if they had a really productive quarter, you know, like. Yeah. But more than anything. It's just watching the value of the stock go up. Something that you bought for 20 bucks eventually becomes worth 50 bucks. And if you sell it at that point, then you've made $30 per share. And if you have 100 shares, you, you've made some sizable amount of money that you can invest into something else or whatever. You know, but the people we're talking about are the ones who are like in, investing in like the Jersey black sites that, that get faster yeah. internet who are able to trade millions upon millions of dollars on a whim. And billions of dollars on a whim in terms of like these big, huge investment firms and more automation into the whole thing than ever before, where where any kind of a robot can detect when the correct moment to sell on something that's about to dive is. And if just all the robots at the same time know to make their billion dollar investments at the exact same moment, it creates these incredible fluctuations of some stocks like, you know, there's been stocks. Tesla has risen a lot like uh, Elon Musk is now the third richest person in the world, passing Bill Gates, all pretty much on things that have happened with the stock market in this year. Like all of his wealth has been increased by so much, basically because Tesla has been just going like the case count of coronavirus up and up and up. Also, because Bill Gates has given away more money during this pandemic than he gave away the five years beforehand. Oh, he's just like finding places to give billions of dollars to. Well, I mean, if you're Bill Gates, you know, if you're Bill Gates, you know, back with the vaccine that tracks everybody. And, you know. <laughs> if, I mean, if you're if you're Bill Gates, like, you know, that you're going to get enough money on just dividends and, you know, like anything that has to do with the the stock you already own in Microsoft to keep you living comfortably for the rest of your life. Like, there's no. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like Microsoft is going to go up tomorrow. Like, he's going to have plenty of time to live the rest of his life without any kind of trouble just off of what he owns in stock ownership. But, you know, like, the the average American isn't thinking about how their portfolio is doing in terms of, like, what they're trading. They're thinking about, like, what their 401k is doing and stuff like that. That's, that's the investing most average Americans are doing. But it, it, the thought process of the people at the it, it's almost like the government is thinking about like, oh, the stock market is doing so great. We just have to hold on until we get to the, to the end of this, uh, this virus and get to the vaccine and then we'll be really off to the races. But I, I really worry that we are we are just dangerously close to the precipice where all of a sudden it's just going to drop and there's going to be no recovery from you know, a massive stock market drop plus everybody being out of their apartments and homeless and, you know, yeah. the valuing the value of the dollar. And like, you know, th there was a part where I was thinking that like 
oh, the coronavirus is going to go away one weekend, and then all of a sudden there's going to be a mad rush on film because people are going to be like, oh, we've been we've been staying at home for three weeks. We're ready yeah. to shoot things. Clearly, that's not going to happen. And I even mean, I think it still will happen. I it'll mean, it'll just be not a rush. It'll be uh, it'll be the gold rush where we talk about the gold rush, but it actually happened over nine months of people being no. like, all right, how do I get to California? And what do I need when I get there? And I mean, if stuff. they if they said like April 1st is when every single person in Los Angeles is getting their vaccine, then yeah. I imagine I'm going to hear about a lot of film productions going up on April the 2nd, you know? Yes. Yeah. But like, it's not going to happen like that realistically. Uh, no. uh, but even then, like, it, you know, like who's going to be able to afford to be able to make a film if the entire economy is in the trash, you know? Well, so like who have already gotten projects paid for and approved. And you well, yeah, but I'm saying like, you know, like if, if it's 30 grand, if the if the Dow is at 30 and then all of a sudden it's at 15 because everything yeah. drops, then that hurts the ability of everyone to be able to find money to be able to make projects of their own. And then it just furthers the problems of like, when am I ever going to work again? You know, like. See, and I, that, I disagree because I think that the money for things is there. The, econ- the economy is not the stock market. The only person who thinks the economy is the stock market is this idiot. <laughs> this idiot thinks that the strength of the economy is, in fact, the strength of the stock market. Money that is there and is ready to go for movie production is there and is ready to go. And whether or not the stock is worth triple what it was worth when it started or less than what it worth when it was started, those companies are looking for long-term growth. Companies not like this guy because this guy's not worried about long-term growth. He's worried about growth right now. And trust and believe when the collapse happens, Joe Biden will be blamed. It'll wait. It'll happen after the 20th. It happens on the 21st. It'll be Joe Biden's fault that the economy collapsed, not this guy whose fault it actually is. Um, And despite, you know, you know, we're getting, we're getting close. And McConnell says like, all right, we'd like to have a, have a, uh, what is it? A CR to extend uh, the coronavirus protections until January 21st. (laughs) It's like, Okay, so What's going on? nobody can get kicked out of their apartments until January 21st. That seems odd, but okay. Yeah. Look at Joe Biden. Let people go homeless, <laughs> hungry. is crazy. Um, there weren't this many homeless people when Trump was president. Well, uh, speaking of crazy, uh, Trump has seemed more and more delusional and more and more unstable as time goes on. Just screaming about election results, screaming about the Electoral College, screaming about everything that... and backing his campaign or his not his campaign his uh fight to get votes thrown out fires somebody and then she she files for a case in another state on his behalf and then he tweets about that anyway yeah and it just i cannot imagine someone more disconnected from reality than that man yeah at this point yeah what what rob was just describing there was Sidney powell who we talked about last week as a fired member of the Trump White House legal team or the fired Trump campaign legal team two conspiracy theoried yeah. to be in the Trump campaign which yeah. is a low bar and not only that but they gave the the incredible uh uh press release where it said like she was practicing law on her own and she was never a part of the team and then the, the 1984 very- <laughs> press release we <laughs> the- are at war with East Asia we have always been at war with East Asia <laughs> and then the very next day she files a a brief on behalf of the Trump campaign but on her own in Georgia threatening that like the voting <laughs> machines were rigged and then Trump's like retweeting her going like oh you can't wait to see the shit that's gonna come out of this case <laughs> it's just like this is this is madness like it 
I, I just I don't even know what to say to somebody who thinks that like we talked about I remember when we talked about uh, the Democratic Party bigfooting Bernie in the primaries last year right and we yeah, were 2016? Or 2016 2016 yeah 2016 right and we were talking about how it's a corrupt exercise and how uh you know everything was was basically being you know slanted towards Hillary but we didn't ever accuse them of like dead people voting or them them bothering to uh uh, change votes or any any kind of thing like that. We were talking about how they were scheduling primary debates on like Telemundo at two a.m. and like st- weird stuff that just benefited nobody but Hillary, right? And then there were emails about how they were trying to benefit Hillary and everything like that. So there was they some were doing sort of like, where can we get this scheduled? Telemundo two a.m. Does that was, meet the requirement? There okay, was tangible proof that it was going on, and I mean like when we talked about. You know, like the, Bernie's last stand in the 2016 primary was California. If he somehow won California, then you could make a, a convincing argument that he was going to be able to rally back somehow. Like it was his last it, custard's last stand and you're in California and they called the race at, you know, eight o'clock when the, when the polls closed. But, you know, none of L.A. had been counted at that point. And L.A. Yeah. at that point was fucking crazy about bernie like there was no there was no way that hillary was beating bernie in in la and they had called it early like they always do like for you know like you would be able to call the democrat to win california in the general election the second the polls closed too but there's no way you could have like legitimately have you know it's the same sort of thing with the election this year we couldn't call pennsylvania until we were done counting in a bunch of mail-in votes there was (laughs) it never felt comfortable that like you could call that race so early and it got so much tighter than it ended up being but like at the end of the day there was something we could point to to say this doesn't feel right but it wasn't about like dead people voting or any of the the truly preposterous claims that are out there like there's so many safeguards in place to keep this from happening there's a paper ballot for administration said it was the safest safest election and most secure election in history, there is a paper ballot for every single vote in America. Like yeah. it, it, you know, and if you wanted to like Georgia, like they had to do a recount because it was so close that that, you know, it was built into the Constitution that they were going to do a recount automatically. Great. They did the recount. The change in the votes was marginal. It went up for Biden. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it. But, you know, by like a. I think the most it was like twelve hundred votes that like they just didn't go through properly the first time, mm-hmm. like a twelve hundred vote advantage for Biden. Like there there wasn't any kind of change that happened. They they recounted Milwaukee and Dane County and Wisconsin. Dane County got an additional like forty four votes for Biden or something. Like there there's no like there's, you lose every time you do something you lose. That's what happened. It, it's I but you you have to you have to be able to just like and. The number, that's the problem. They, they set themselves up for, if this was a close election, we we claim fraud, and if we can find 15 cases yeah. on like a, a state that was swayed by like 100 votes, then maybe we can say, this is the clear indication that something fishy is up, and we can't certify the results of Wisconsin, which is deciding the election in this hypothetical because yeah. it's so it's so close and there is there's is tyranny afoot like something is going on and they can't 
They can't do that, so they're just going to do it anyway, whether or not there's evidence to support it or not. And nobody's watching... The court TV of Rudy Giuliani going like, "Oh no, your your honor, we're not we're not uh, alleging voter fraud at all." They're only showing the press conferences where he is not under oath and he goes, "There's voter fraud all over the place." <laughs> like his major claim, absent any evidence, is something along the lines of, "There's no way 80 million people voted for him." Yeah, and it's just like, uh, okay, but you're not disputing that 77 million people voted for you. Or that 78 million people voted for you last time, you're just disputing that 80 million people voted for him this time. Yeah. Okay. But And again, it's never that there was wide fraud everywhere. It's there's wide fraud only in the places where I lost and he won. Uh, where I won, clearly there was no fraud. There's <laughs> nothing to worry about here at all. It's only where he won. And uh, nobody bother with, looking at Iowa. <laughs> clearly. Yeah, if, if there's, a Republican in charge of the state Senate, uh, the state Senate, uh, not state Senate, uh, the uh, Secretary of State at the state level is a Republican, and the governor's a Republican, and everyone's a Republican. That doesn't mean there wasn't fraud. There could still be fraud there, and the FBI could be in on it, and the Department of Justice, and the State Department. I'm like, who are you going to throw under the bus next? Well, but- and and thank God that at least there were you know, five or six Republicans who had spines because that was, that's basically what stood between a humongous constitutional crisis. And like Chris Krebs being able to go up and say like, no, this is the most secure election in history was one of the, the death nails to Trump's whole claims of massive voter fraud. Like his own guy said there wasn't. So what do you, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah. Like and in, in 12 days, none of this matters anyway. Yeah. In 12 days, the electoral college meets, and the votes, the certified votes from nationwide will be brought. And the Electoral College, I don't think, is meeting in person this year. They don't often all meet in person, but especially this year they won't. But they will just essentially meet at their state's level and cast their ballots and send those to D.C. And it will all be done. Uh, and something I found out, Corey, that I didn't know was that there were actually faithless electors in 2017 or 2016. Mm-hmm. But there were seven faithless electors. All of whom went for Clinton. It was yeah. all people who were like, I am Republican. I cannot in good conscience back this guy. So I'm going to vote for Clinton. And I imagine if there are any faithless electors this time around, it would likely be the same. Because it's, again, Republicans uh, who I'm seeing on TV now who are just like, I don't know what is going on with my party right now, but I don't recognize it. And those are the people who the party chooses to go to the Electoral College. It's the old head Republicans, not the like... I'm screaming with a gun in a in national mall Republicans that you choose to go to the electoral college. Well, and it, it's not like, it's like people who are like the junior varsity Republicans of your, the, the senior staff of Republicans who are governors and mayors and, you know, like that sort of people, like yeah. not candidates or not people who ever wanted to run for something themselves, but people who, who are serious about the party and wanted to be involved in some sort of way. Like this is a good way to, to, to give a little honor to somebody who was, a long-standing and loyal Republican or Democrat in whatever state you could be an elector in, you know, like I, and there's no drama to this. Like, you know, Trump, Trump's just like, Oh, you know, the electoral college votes for me. I'm going to, I'm going to take the, take the loss, but I think they're doing it wrong and stuff like that. You know, maybe just take this as the opportunity to just like, he's done now. It's, it's over. There's no, there's no legal fight. There's nothing you can do. It's it's been decided. So let's just move on with our lives. You know. I mean, I'm sure he's still going to claim things all the way up until January 20th. 
where oh, he's beyond, probably all the way mm-hmm. until November of 2024, which yeah, is what, he, what I think his plan is now. By the way, did you see that uh, the he's the leading candidate for a hypothetical 2024? Of course, like 54 percent of Republicans would would like to uh, have him be the candidate in 2024. Earlier in this episode, did you see the image I put up of a um, number of people flying home during the <laughs> pandemic? Yeah. I, it Nothing surprises me anymore. Uh, <laughs> and, and by the way, throwing under the bus Kelly Loeffler and Purdue, who still have an election to win in order to carry the Senate. Yeah. But the number one thing brought up at the an RNC conference uh, with voters uh, one day ago, two days ago, I think it was Friday, actually, was why would I go vote when the whole thing's a fraud? So the president's calling everything a fraud. Republicans aren't going to go vote in Georgia, which means Democrats will, if Republicans don't vote, Democrats will carry it, send two Democratic senators, and that's a 50-50 tie with a VP that's a Democrat breaking that tie every single Well, time. I mean, so. if you look at if you look at how the election ended up in Georgia, like, you know, Ossoff and Purdue were real close. Purdue yeah. didn't get the 50%, but, you know, Ossoff was right there. And Warnock was beating Loeffler. Yeah. But there was too many other candidates to keep him from getting the 50% himself. There's like seven people in that race. Yeah. So, I mean, like. Because she is so terrible that uh, seven people were like, uh, somebody's got to beat her. I'm going to beat her. <laughs> but there were people to the right of her who ran, too. Like, you know, like, uh, I, I can't remember the, the Collins, I think it is, is, the other guy who was running in the Senate seat who, like, is apparently like a real certifiable dingbat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, well, so- there were some things that she didn't he's like the andy harris of georgia if you will yeah there were some things she didn't back trump on and it was enough that there was somebody who could come out and be like i will be in trump's ass all (laughs) the time he says jump and i will jump and while in the air say how high and then go higher if he asks me to so uh i got q and on as the home as the home page on my phone I do think that he's a QAnoner as well. I want to say that he is at least partially like, I mean, listen, I can't refute anything that Q has said. I'm not in government. If you put me in government, maybe we can look into some of it. <laughs> my favorite type of my favorite type of Q supporter is the guy who's like, uh, uh, I'm not saying he's right or wrong. We're just going to have to wait and find out. And it's just like, well, we have enough evidence to know that some of these things are right and wrong. It's just like, yeah, but you know, like I'd, I'd rather just take everything he says from this point on. It's like, a new a fresh start like <laughs> it'd be like it'd be like if i said like uh hey tune in every single week for Corey's 100 percent perfect nfl picks and for the first 10 weeks of the nfl season i get not one single game right like every single game against the spread i pick incorrectly and week yeah. 12 i'm just like well i know i've had a rough stretch so far but that's just proving that the comeback is going to be all the better <laughs> <laughs> like at Let a certain- me tell you how COVID has messed with the NFL, and I have not been able to make my predictions correctly. But I've run into a lot rotten luck. Now my first pick: the Jets to win straight up. <laughs> but uh, speaking of elections, where maybe uh, uh, a black man is about to get screwed by a bunch of old white men, uh, you had some thoughts about the Grammy nomination process, Corey, and I want to give you the floor. To talk about them because I don't know if you guys know this. Corey doesn't like popular music, and it, when he said, "Did you hear about this Grammy thing?" <laughs> my mind nearly exploded. <laughs> well, uh, yes. Uh, let me put it this way: I'm an old. I'm already an old man. Like I didn't think I was gonna forty, folks. I don't think I was gonna be the person who was just like these kids today and their music. I just don't get it. 
But for the better part of the last, you know, years. 10 years or so, I've been like that. I, I, I don't like a lot of the new music that comes out. I just don't like it. I, I mean, like some of it's fine, but like, no, it, there hasn't been an artist that really made me go like, oh, man, I can't wait to hear their next. Al- I can't wait to hear the next Post Malone song. Like, you know, it just never excited me like that. I used uh, to play Takashi and Post Malone as a punishment and to mess up Corey's Spotify. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like, you know, Rob would every once in a while go like, oh, you got to hear this new song. It's the hottest song out there. And I'd just be like, all right. And then I listen to it and it sounds like something that was done on like a Fisher Price, like <laughs> keyboard thing. And like, you or know, auto tune was and- in fact made on a Fisher Price uh, keyboard. <laughs> auto tune and all that sort of shit. But speaking of. Teddy Ruxpin and auto-tune. But The weekend, and specifically Blinding Lights, has been, I I thought, a fantastic song. And Every single song that I've heard from the album, even the the performance he did at the AMAs with Kenny G and stuff like that, like, everything about it has just been so, like, perfectly exemplary. Like, it it feels like... uh, almost like a coronation like there was no way you could deny that this was the biggest song of the year and that the the cultural relevance of it was so far beyond that of any other artist that was putting things out there this year and you know i i expected that i didn't know the grammy nominations were coming out last week but i thought that if i heard about grammy nominations i would just hear the weekend's name listed 15 times in every single category (laughs) conceivable because the song was so good. He is so good. And the album, uh, again, of what I've heard of it has been so good. So like, I, I don't get where the, the Grammys come off, not nominating him for anything. And beyond that, the other people who have been snubbed, like just by what people in the industry, but the, the people in the music industry who talk about this sort of thing all the time are saying, you know, BTS getting snubbed is, uh, completely unacceptable or Halsey or, you know, you went through a whole list of people that you were just like shocked that were not <laughs> considered or like bands yeah, that I, were I mean, like picked that like you've never heard of for record of the off, year. Off and like the top off the top, how Halsey's album was amazing. Um, and I know you're not as big of a fan. I was living with somebody who forced me to listen to it over and over. And maybe it's just a uh, Stockholm syndrome. That now I'm like, that's such a great album. I've heard every song on repeat all the time. But I thought it was really good. But then you nominate somebody for best new artist who was nominated six years ago for a song. How are they a new artist? Oh, oh, well, it's Billy Ray Cyrus's kid. So I get it. Okay, now we're I see where we're going. Somebody, uh, uh, Coldplay's nominated. For, is that the uh, same? Wait, hold on. Is that the same one that was in Metro Station? No, Noah Cyrus uh, is the daughter, isn't it? Oh. No. Yeah, Noah's Noah's a girl, uh, but his son was in Metro Station. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think, right? He has a son and a daughter. I th- I I don't know. I, I, I'm not the person <laughs> to ask hey, about the Cyrus. Uh, Coldplay got nominated. I'm un- it's unbelievable that I even knew that one of them was in Metro Station. So. Coldplay got nominated. Noah Cyrus got nominated. Uh, there are two bands from like the 80s or 90s that got nominated. They haven't put out an album in 20 years, and now they put out an album and it gets nominated. And it's just like, okay. But the weekend's thing was he was uh, offered to play the Grammys and essentially said, yes, except I got word that maybe the Super Bowl. 
would yeah. want me to come and play. So I'm going to give you the pencil me in, but you can't say no to the Super Bowl. It's the biggest stage in the world. And allegedly the Grammy said something along the lines of, listen, uh, we really like to have all the performers be people who are nominated. And if you're nominated, then you perform. That's kind of how it works. And he was like, well, I got to hear about the Super Bowl. And then he heard about the Super Bowl and got invited. And he's going to be performing at the Super Bowl. And all of a sudden, he's not nominated when the nominations came out. And it's like, oh, is this punishment for choosing the Super Bowl over the Grammys? And maybe it is. Or maybe it said a bunch of old white people are choosing the best album, best new artist. And they're like, Billy Ray Cyrus's kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. But they were in there. And uh, yeah, and uh, these two bands I remember from when, I mean, these people are old even compared to us. And they, the 90s were like prime music time for them. I mean, that was for you too. But then like Fiona Apple gets, uh, and I heard one or two songs off that album that I thought were good. Not really my, like emo rocks, well, my thing. Yeah, and, and I mean like one of the, that one in particular, like, you know, I'm just going again off of, the people I know who are like crazy about Fiona Apple said that this was this album was the best she's ever done, and it seems like the type of thing like in an Oscar year. Like if you have a, have a decent actor who never really gets nominated for things, but he does an incredible like uh, Heath Ledger. Like Heath Ledger was always a really good actor, but he wasn't an Academy Award winning type actor. Right. And then all of a sudden he did the Joker, and then he died. And those two things led to him being so, you know, like, it's like we have to give it to him. There's no way yeah. we can we can pass this opportunity. You know, we'll never be able to give it to him again. So this is our last chance. And someone mm -hmm. like Heath Ledger will, you know, obviously he deserved it. But I'm saying, like, in, in lesser years, somebody like that will will win an award because of, of things like that. Uh, in the Grammys, like, it's like Fiona Apple has been a, a important artist for... 25 years she's just put out her most exemplary work and there's no way to recognize it like it, it, it just a lot of things seem weird and like Halsey's statement about like you know things that are bribes that don't really seem like bribes it, it just feels a lot like FIFA to me you know yes like yeah. how we're gonna find yeah. out five months from now that the recording artists or the Grammys are, are just like filled with people who have been taking like private parties where you know, like whoever is willing to perform in the living room of the executive director of the Grammys is going to get a nomination. And anyone who doesn't show the proper respect is not. And like on the day that just happens to be his daughter's birthday and there's a group of people there and, you know, you just happen to show up and perform. For I mean, if hours. you want to come by with food, too, I mean, there wasn't going to be any food. So, I mean, yeah, how I, much I, I feel like how much do you love my daughter? You've never met like the the Oscars thing where it's all uh, I can't remember what what director was talking about that where it's like it's not even how good your work is it's about going and working the circuit and you just have to go through parties and you have to go promote yourself and do the whole thing and that's why I know I'll never win an Oscar because I'll just be like this is what it is it stands on its own if you don't want to vote for it don't vote for it yeah uh, but as long as there are just groups of old white men deciding what gets nominated you have to do what they want so no but I mean like even with the Oscars there is definitely a a chasm that can be uh, uh, eclipsed by the proper marketing strategy and the, the meeting the right people and going to the right parties and stuff like that. But well, it's not a guarantee. As, as younger people get in the academy, it's going to change some. But the Grammys are an invite only. It's not like qualifications to get in, I'm pretty sure. Like no, but I mean, like, I, I remember... Uh, uh, Taron Edgerton for Rocket Man. 
a couple years yeah. back, right? Like he was literally doing everything you need to do to be nominated for an Academy Award. He was going to every party. He was doing every interview. He was on podcasts. He was on TV. He was doing like literally everything his publicity team was saying because they were probably, you know, being real with him and saying like, listen, you're an on the line nominee. You Mm -hmm. might make it. You might not. But if we really do this push right, you're going to get that nomination. You probably won't win. We'll put together a, 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 a plan in case you get nominated to try and help you win. But this is a a publicity stunt or publicity campaign that we're putting on together to get you the nomination. And, and you could say Academy nominated for the rest right. of your life. Yeah, you don't need to you don't need to actually win it. You could have the Academy Award nominated and sometimes it's just as good. Yeah. Uh but the you know, he didn't end up getting nominated for it, but you could see the push was there. He really wanted it. You know, there's been other people who have had, you know, great performances who got snubbed at the Oscars and it's because they didn't give a shit. They didn't want to go to all the parties. They didn't want to, they didn't want to be a part of the rigmarole and it costs money. Like the studios, I think they said like to, to get somebody to win, you know, uh, like a best actor award or something like that, which isn't the most expensive one to get, but still a very, a very expensive one to, to try and win. You're spending, you know, two to $5 million on a campaign to, fly this person to all the talk shows to put them on all the interviews to book people in hotels and like you know like there's the the backstage part of it which is like uh oh meet us at the w hollywood for the interview tomorrow we've already booked you the journalist a room a suite Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know the room service is all paid for enjoy yourself tomorrow at noon at the pool you're gonna you're gonna interview taryn edgerton Mm -hmm. uh and then but feel may- free to stay the night before and the night after. Yeah, and then maybe after the interview is over, he does the like, "Hey man, you're real cool. You want to you want to go get a drink or something?" I was thinking about watching a watching a football game. You want to go with me to and it's just like, "Wait, you like me?" Like, yeah, you know, absolutely. so you so you get the the extra nice like the sweetest man in Hollywood is trying to win an Academy Award and like, yeah. like all the tricks. It, it's just like and the, then you have the, Daniel Day-Lewis who is just like Fuck you. I don't care. I don't even like this business. I wish I wasn't a good actor. I'm so good. I don't need to do your bullshit. <laughs> but then again, nominated for Phantom Thread, didn't win. Yeah, but I mean, like, in his head, I'm sure he went, I didn't try. Like, yeah. I tr- no, I tried at the performance. That was the part that I was supposed to be judged on. My, yeah. my, my nomination is because I tried so hard and did so well. My not winning this thing is because I didn't play the game. I didn't go out there and go to all the parties and stuff like that. And by and the mean, way, I already have two of those. It's okay. <laughs> and I, I mean, only like, have two hands. And they're, you know, like it, uh, this is not unusual stuff because, like the the, uh, you know, the, the the Grammys have gotten this wrong all the time. Like they they've consist for as long as I've been alive, the Grammys have not been a good indication of what is popular in music, and yeah. what it ends up coming to is. Uh, whether or not they become irrelevant this year or in a year, you know, a coming year or something like that. But at some point, it's just not going to be worth, you know, there was a point where a blockbuster award didn't mean anything anymore. You know, (laughs) a blockbuster movie award didn't mean anything anymore. And just because you've been the preeminent music award for the last 70 years or whatever doesn't mean that tomorrow we wake up and care about what the Grammys do and music in general, like, I think Drake 
if it was if I'm if I'm remembering this correctly, Drake was like this close to not being on any label. He was just going to be independent. No, he and, is. He is independent. Oh, is he independent right now? So he ended up releasing uh, his new single through someone who was a UMG subsidiary, but it was a one track deal. It was he just is doing one tracks at this point. Just I find somebody who gives me the best deal. I release through them. Right, but I mean, like, put new music. but I mean, like, there's like, there's been this thing going on that I've heard about where you know he's basically the the dam that stands between whether yeah. or not the labels are relevant anymore. Because yep. if he can go out and do everything that a label could do all by himself, then a lot of other artists are going to say, "Why are we paying the label all this money to release our our music when we can do it ourselves and keep it ourselves?" Like, well, if we can hire publicists and marketing companies and everything like that then we can get more of the share of the album that we already released. And already we're getting screwed on literally every little thing. Yeah. So like, why are we, you know, like, so the, the weight is still on the album. Cause he put out two singles, I think, but they weren't singles pre album. It was like uh DJ Khaled hit him up and was like, Hey, do you want to do this track together? Yeah. The one that we did the, uh, the, uh, parody of. Yeah. One of those was just them doing a fun thing. And then he also released one other track is like this is not an album i just had an idea for a song i put it together here's the song still working on the album um but it'll come to find out like does he go through a major label or does he release it himself or does he go with a small label and just say i really just need distribution here i'm gonna do everything you distribute it i mean if 10 years from now we're in a world where labels don't represent any of the biggest artists then yep the Grammys are going to be a way different animal then too, because the the same structures that were in place to get these Grammy voters their sweet bribes are not going to be in place anymore. Like, and no artist is going to say to them, you know, like Halsey, if she's an independent artist in seven years from now, is not going to say, "I'm going to pay ten thousand dollars to have some guy stay up in the W for the weekend so that I get a Grammy nom." No, like they're and- just going to stop fucking caring. Like that's. The rumor is that some of the smaller labels and management companies are talking about getting together and making their own award show and just being like the people's choice, but not obviously that. Yeah. But like, we're going to get together and we're going to figure out how to make a democratic nomination process and a democratic voting process and then nominate people and vote for them. And then we'll all throw in equal amounts, have a show, whatever that's going to look like in 2021, and just do it instead of the Grammys. And then See how many people watch our show versus the Grammys and how many people care about the show where everyone you hear on the radio gets nominated versus everyone you never haven't heard on the radio in 15 years gets nominated. How about this? You just send out a a postcard to everyone who charted on the Billboard chart for any stretch of time in the last calendar year. And that includes the artists, the writers, the producers, the all that, like just anyone who was involved in something that charted in the top 100 last year or like yeah. specific genre charts. If you're talking about like who's going to get the Grammy for best metal artist or something like that, like just, you know, segment out the metal people from the rest of the people and let them let them fight that out. But I'm saying like, you know, there there's a, a way to like constantly bring, be bringing new blood into this thing and have it be more indicative of like what the actual pulse feels like with music than what the Grammys do. That uh, that's basically the the and in and out of it. It's just uh, well, I, I, I haven't I haven't I haven't cared I haven't cared about the Grammys in a solid ten years, and I hope that this is most of everyone else's opportunity to to get out of the burning building that I left before it caught fire. When the it was merely just smoking, I left. The weekend got snubbed. Uh, Halsey got snubbed. Fiona Apple got snubbed. The highest 
Billboard charting artist who is nominated at the Grammys hit 98 for one week. And then we had somebody who hit 200 for two weeks. Yeah. And other than that, there's nothing in the Billboard Top 200. And so, listen, I, I, I'm not saying you have to be a charted artist to win a Grammy. It would certainly help because yeah. the Grammys would like to have as many big name artists as they can. So, like, they want to have Taylor Swift nominated because Taylor Swift is a huge star and that helps bring eyeballs to your show. But, you know, I, I would also love the thing of, like, you know... <laughs> the dead monkeys got nominated for best album. And it's just like they had a backyard release in Youngstown, Ohio. And it was just an incredible album that a bunch of music people heard about, but nobody else knows about, like it would be great to have like a, like all the musicians were just like, no, 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 this band that you've never heard of definitely was the album of the year. Like, I would love yeah, that. They, like, <laughs> oh, they didn't chart, but everybody on Billboard knows who they are, and yeah. it's like, no, 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 this is the album of the year. That'd be great. <laughs> they win album of the year, and it's just like, sorry, Johnny couldn't get off his shift at Target tonight, <laughs> <laughs> so he he couldn't be here for the show. But he's so proud of you guys. Thank you for this award. <laughs> we're uh, we're gonna have him come in by FaceTime. <laughs> Johnny, are you there? Oh wait, what time is it? Central? Oh no, he's not on break yet. Uh, all right, well. Thank you for Johnny. And, <laughs> uh, but if you want to talk about another uh, another group that's becoming irrelevant week after week, uh, we're going to have to go to a special segment, which hopefully we have the video for. Sports ball. Yeah. All right. So, uh, if that worked, hopefully that worked. Uh, Corey, you wanted to talk about some NFL issues this week, and there are three main ones, I well, believe. Well, two, two. Two things, really. Uh, yeah. First of all, we, we should talk about the Ravens because last week we spent the last little bit of our show talking, previewing the, the Ravens Thursday night game, and uh, that game has still not been played because the COVID is everywhere. Um, the Baltimore Sun had reported that Steve Saunders, the uh, strength and conditioning coach for the Ravens, apparently was showing symptoms, uh, ended up being positive, was not wearing his mask, was not wearing his proximity tracker, and now 19 or 20 Ravens are positive for coronavirus, and people at, like, there's, like, five offensive linemen and six cornerbacks and, you know, Calais Campbell and Brandon Williams and Lamar Jackson and, you know, Ingram and Dobbins and like our Morgan Cox, our long snapper and Willie Sneed. And, you know, it's just like a plethora of important people on the Ravens who are now sick and will not be playing on the new game, which is Wednesday night football. I was going to say, luckily they uh, have until Wednesday to recover this. Week, I'm not, so. not Wednesday night. It's more like Wednesday afternoon football. Uh, if you're watching well, in the night, if it's a London game, it's night, I guess it's, uh, it's uh, happening at three o'clock Eastern on Wednesday. So mm-hmm. be prepared for that noon football game that we all love so much on Wednesday. <laughs> it's like a getaway. Say, finally, we get a noon football game on the, way, on the West Coast. <laughs> it's like a, it's, on Wednesday. it's like a uh, it's like a getaway game in baseball. <laughs> oh, it's business and special. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except for nobody will be in the stands because no fans allowed. Yeah, no fans. Especially this game because everybody's got COVID who's at the game. So, you know. I can't imagine that the Ravens win. I'm just going to put it that way. I I think that that the (laughs) odds are. Didn't you say this was a must-win game for the Ravens? (laughs) Yes, but I don't. I'm not not feeling confident. Uh, When you lose. Like, for instance, uh, I said we lost like five offensive linemen. Two of them were the two centers we have on the team. So we have no center. 
you would say, oh, maybe bring the long snapper in and he could be the center for the game. But he's out, too. So, like, you know, it's not quite as bad as what the Broncos dealt with. We'll get to that in a second. But, I mean, like, there, there are just enough things that are wrong here that does not make it seem like... You know, like it'd be like if you were if you were saying I'm going to win the Daytona 500 with my car that has a donut on (laughs) like you're already not positioned best to be running the Daytona 500 in the car you own that you're just driving onto the track day driver. Listen, I got a tune up. uh, I just got an oil change. This 2016 Toyota Corolla is going to match the field. I tell you. But every single time, you know, something some little thing like. You know, there's a piece of plastic that's rattling on the back. They're not. That's going to interfere with your ability to lower your drag, which is like all the <laughs> the point of the NASCAR race. So, but again, this was a must-win week because <laughs> we were looking at playoff contention, and it's uncertain that the NFL is going to make it to the playoffs at this point. Forty-two starters on league-wide didn't start week twelve. Yeah, because they had COVID, and that's not including, as you pointed out, all of the non-starters who are also on the team. And I mean, like uh, I was trying to figure out who they counted as a starter. If you're a nickelback, you're not a starter. If you're uh, like a, a slot receiver, you're not a starter. Yeah. It's basically like two running backs, five linemen, two wide receivers, quarterback, tight end, that's who you're, <laughs> you're one tight end. That's your court. That's your starting lineup. It's like an I so form. Like, yeah. Yeah. Your, your classic I formation is your starting lineup. And then, so like there are teams that run the nickel and dime, every single down yeah and you lose two backs like there's teams that don't have fullbacks and they just run three wide receivers as like their base operations but i mean like those guys there's your starter but they don't count that as a starter and i think there's something like a hundred people out right now but i mean like uh, just my fantasy team like just as a uh, and this is not us talking about our fantasy teams here because nobody gives a shit about that sort of thing but i'm saying like I started literally everyone who could potentially be starting who was on my team. There was not a single person who was on my bench who put up points because I didn't have the luxury of having somebody on my bench who put up points because so many people were were injured and COVID that I had no no way of of starting anyone else, which left me with like with what left me with Sam Darnold with six points and shit like that. Played everybody. Two of my guys got injured in the first half of their games. The guys I had left, I'm losing by 50 points, and I'm just like, uh, this week doesn't even count. I, we're not gonna look. At well, this it's game. also it's all you also had no shot because uh, Chelsea had Tyree Kill who put up yes. 50 points. So Which, by the way, is a difference actually. Tyree is yeah. not played. If somebody could give him COVID, that would have been nice. This week. Oh, let's not wish that on Tyree Kill, best wide receiver but, uh, in the football. I think the the bigger question is if the NFL continues what they're doing, which is not bubbling, but doing this like pseudo bubble situation, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. You were talking about how they were talking about a a walkout or a a pseudo walkout. And I think that that is what the players are looking at now. You can't keep us safe. We're not going to come play. Well, I mean, I I think that the NFL is trying to do what it can to keep people safe. Uh, And, you know, it, the fact that most teams don't seem to have massive outbreaks all the time seems like it's in, indicative of them, of the plan working to a degree, you know? But anytime you have a system where people are going to be able to go out and go to dinner and be exposed, like, you're, you're never going to have a perfect system. The NBA showed that the NBA and the NHL had no positive tests 
All their players went in the bubble. They quarantined for two weeks. Nobody was allowed in the bubble or anywhere near the players during the entirety of the playoffs where they finished it up and no positive tests. Baseball had positive tests all over the place because they were doing the same thing the NFL was doing. And this is just sort of how it works. And, you know, I, I feel bad for the Bronco fans out there because they it, it does feel like they got screwed here. Especially this week. But, I mean, like, the, the difference here is that, you know, the, the Ravens had an ongoing outbreak. Like, it's not like they could play tomorrow because people are still showing up sick. So until you have a group of people who are not sick or not showing that they're going to pass it on to somebody else, then you can't really safely play the game. Whereas the Broncos situation was the only people who showed up sick or were, you know, like uh, kept out because of the COVID protocols were just the people who were together. Like, you know, you, you would lose five players that they were all hanging out together. It just so happened that all those players were everyone in the quarterback room. So that <laughs> went really badly for them. Uh, yeah. But I, I would like to say this, uh, you know, we never we never really get the opportunity to talk about these situations uh, in this sort of context. So I'd like to put it out there for people to think about. Um, Kendall Hint- Hinton started for the Denver Broncos on Sunday. He was a wide receiver on their practice squad going into the week. Uh, literally every single Bronco is out with the COVID protocols. So they had to bring in somebody who was already on their roster somehow to play quarterback for them. And Kendall Hinton played quarterback at Wake Forest. And before that, in his three years as a a starter in high school, or I'm sorry, in his career as a high school quarterback, he had three championships, three double-A championships in North Carolina. I think I heard somewhere he was a state player of the year, uh, mm-hmm. he, he had the credentials to be a quarterback if he wanted to. He just got hurt in college and decided to make the transition to the wide receiver where he is good enough to be on an NFL practice squad. So he is, he is a talented player who was put in the worst situation possible to succeed in. But I would like every single fan who is sitting home and listening to the sound of my voice to think about this. You could not do what he did. He had, he had an awful game. A truly awful game. He did not have a completion in the first half. Uh, the first half of that St. Bronco game only had three yards completed in the air. It looked like it was from the fucking twenties. Uh, but I don't want any. I don't want Fat Jimmy in Denver sitting there going like, "Oh, the Broncos should have let me play. I was a starter on my high school team." Fuck you, Jimmy, because there is no way. It's just not going to happen. Kendall Hinton is a state player of the year, so he's already better than whatever one year of quarterbacking you did. Uh, he was the starter at a legitimate college. It's not like it's, you know, like East Oklahoma State, you know, Agriculture University or something like that that he went to. He went to Wake Forest. It's a legitimate school that's turned out legitimate NFL players before in the past. Right. Uh, and won ACC championships. One, I, I, I don't know. When's the last time they won an ACC champion? It's been a while, but there hasn't been a real ACC in a while. That's part of the problem. Well, I mean, like uh, it keeps changing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but back when it was what? Uh, North Carolina, Maryland, Wake Forest. Yeah. The ACC. NC State, uh, they, stuff like that. NC State, yeah. I think I feel like they won uh, in the 90s, at least. Back, they won an ACC championship in the 90s. So Possibly. I mean, they, they've always been more of a basketball sh- school than a football That's school. True. Yeah. But, you know, it's not saying that you couldn't have been a successful first-round draft pick out of Wake Forest. It, it yeah, could happen. players came out of Wake Forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a good football program. Yeah, and I mean, like, uh, I, I, it just, 
think about it in terms of this. Like uh, the the I like the Usain Bolt comparison. You like to think <laughs> that that the difference between Patrick Mahomes, let's say he's the best quarterback in the NFL, right? Patrick Mahomes and Kendall Hinton is like the difference between Usain Bolt and me running in a hundred yard dash, right? But it's not like that at all because I'm me in that scenario. <laughs> I'm still me. Kendall Hinton is the guy who finishes like 10th or 12th or maybe gets disqualified right before the race starts because he pulls an ankle or something like that. You know, like he, he sees Usain Bolt is in his thing. He is. Like, oh, my leg. Oh. He is a worthy competitor, even if he's not as talented as Usain Bolt, you know, like just because to get to the Olympics is such an incredible incredible feat whether or not you win or not right so to to get blown out by Usain Bolt doesn't mean that you're an awful runner it just means that you're not as fast as the fastest person in the world which is an okay place to be you know like you don't have to you don't have to be the fastest person in the world being the 10th fastest is sometimes good enough but the the fact that I saw so many people putting out tweets going like I don't know why they're starting Kendall Hinton I could have done better than this fuck you no you could <laughs> no way there's not a chance this guy is yeah. a legitimate athlete and you had no shot and this should be this should just be an indication that uh, even a professional athlete who has uh, you know they have wide receivers and running backs like they have the rest of the team there. He could have he could have hypothetically had a miracle game and done really well, but he didn't, and that's just because he didn't have any time to practice with these guys. He didn't have any time to learn the playbook. He didn't have any time to do any of this. Like he, also, he, he was in put in a position to fail. Like to Jimmy in Denver, if you were given the time to practice with that squad, you still would not have performed better than he had performed. Oh I mean, no! Like end, we are fooled into thinking like that. There are thirty-two NFL quarterbacks. You can add to that maybe an additional 10 to 12 backups that have played multiple places. And you can see that they are NFL caliber guys no matter where they go. Right. Uh, what's like his, Mike, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mike Lennon backing up in, in Jacksonville is not a starting quarterback you want to build your franchise around. But if no. you have an injury and he's got to come in, like he's a serviceable quarterback in the NFL. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick has made a career on just traveling around and being the backup guy that always gets called on to be the starter and yeah. then immediately gets replaced by a draft pick and sent off somewhere else. Like, yeah. and then gets to Miami and does the same thing and then gets replaced and then gets called back again. <laughs> Cause but Tua like, hurt himself. I know. God damn it. You are my hope, man. Uh, anyway. Uh, but it, so there are 32 guys and then add another 10 to 12 on top of that. So we're at maybe 50 tops of NFL caliber quarterbacks. Then there's a bunch of guys who are backups on NFL teams that look embarrassing when they get in. Yeah. And that's a very small circle. And then you have the guys like like this guy who get in and are world-class athletes. And I think he's, what, 24, 25 years old, too? Yeah. He's like and a rookie, I think. Jimmy, you're 40. You're 40. <laughs> you're like us. You're 40. And this guy's 24 and just came out of college, and he's a world-class athlete. And he practices with the team, but he doesn't know that side of the playbook. He only knows which way do I run and what direction when they call this play? Not everybody else, what everybody else is doing on the play. Like, and he got slaughtered. Well, I mean, like it's, it it seems like it's all fun and games when somebody is like, you know, there was like Nathan Peterman a couple years ago with the bills where he like came in 
and like he was like a rookie and they're just like oh maybe he'll be good and he threw four interceptions on his first four <laughs> passes that he threw in the league or something like that with like two touchdown returns and stuff and people were just like slaughtering him for you know like oh my god Nathan Peterman he's never gonna play another snap in the NFL he's worthless he's he's done he's toast and you don't realize that He's still there. He's still in. He, I think he's in uh, Oakland or Oakland, Las Vegas right now, uh, as a backup. And like, he's a, a successful. He's a good. He's a good enough person to be on a good enough talent to be on a team. And just because he looks like the worst quarterback compared to everybody else, doesn't mean that he is not in fact way better than anyone else that could be potentially signed off the street. You know, like. The Uncle Rico, it's like, it, it, it's it's literally like, you all look like Uncle Rico out there. Like, I could have thrown that ball over the mountain. Like, And again, uh, you, Jimmy from Denver, um, you have no understanding. It looks like a lot of time on TV, what a three-second rush looks like. Oh, God. You have a 250-pound man coming at you from your blind side, and you got three seconds to scan the whole field twice, make a decision and throw a ball over some guy who's likely taller than you. Jump in to bat it down, yeah. And then another guy is who's taller than him jumping to bat it down. Like Drew Brees, I don't know how that man plays football <laughs> at five foot two. But like just you know like cocking back <laughs> five nine to be fair. He's my oh, height. He yeah. <laughs> but well, I mean like Yeah, but I'm right. saying like if you look at me, you're just like the Corey's not tall enough to be a quarterback in the NFL. Like but this is why I maintain uh, Corey, and this is a, a new position for Corey because he has always said when we watch like Beastmaster or any other stuff <laughs> like, listen, just let me out there, I can take on this. See, course. but I, I I do that for fun because I I, I know <laughs> how much it makes you guys laugh. I I do it I do it to I lean into that joke. But I I still maintain every Olympic city should nominate Olympians from the city, average Joes. Who get to go into only the the final round? So you're you're they let's get eliminate everybody down to eleven, so that in the final round it's Usain Bolt in the four hundred meters, and you have eleven competitors, and then our nominated Olympian, because that will give you a perception of what an average guy I, who does on the course next to Usain Bolt. I would love nothing more than if a a team was like, you know, like the Jets are zero and fifteen, right? And they're like, we just need to lose one more game to get the number one overall pick. Like, literally nothing matters. So we're just going to pick a season ticket holder off this list <laughs> who wants to be quarterback for the Jets. I would just love to see, like, I'd love for, for you know, Fat Jerry to finally get his chance to, to show people what it's like and just show somebody get literally murdered on the field because <laughs> they don't deserve to be there. Like, By the way. Let's have the backup defense actually like let's get everybody on the field. No red jersey, Jerry. Why, why you want a red jersey? No, 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 no. We're gonna have the defense coming at you. We want to see what you got. Uh, and then just like two step. What's up? Bam! Oh, it would down. it oh, would last geez. half a drive. It would last half a drive. It, not the, the first time you get hit by a grown man you're just like nope not for me i'm out sorry can you just e- can you just even imagine like you weren't you're, you're just showing up to work and it's just like rob we're gonna ask you to do something a little bit different today <laughs> and you just find your find yourself as a quarterback and you're looking across and it's aaron donald on the other side like a literal mountain of a man like coming at you you're just like no thank you harry tate off his corner or off his <laughs> linebacker yeah just Jerry, I want you. Here's what we're gonna do. Um, you you kill the Joe. You fill it up. Woo! That's <laughs> so good. And you know, most people who listen to this are too young to even know who Terry Tate, off his linebacker, is. But 
it's Jerry. I'm gonna hire Terry Tate to come to your office and just blindside catch you by surprise at some. What's point. hysterical was Terry Tate wasn't a great player. He was like the he was like the Kendall Hinton of the time. But yes. as soon as he was in those commercials, people were just like, oh, is he the most fearsome linebacker the league had ever seen? It's like, no, he no, barely he played. Like, could not play. Got kicked <laughs> off his team. That's why he's on TV. He, he wasn't good enough. That's why he's in commercials now. He had a but, name that sounds good for TV. So it worked <laughs> exactly. out really well. He looked scary. That was his. That was what he had going for him. Uh, did you have more NFL things? Was there another thing? No, that was it. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and close up sports ball. Sports ball. Yeah. And then uh should we do the last one real quick? Just well, to- I was gonna say, uh let me uh pull that I have that some uh here we go. And do because a- we have all the drops, we'll go take a visit down to the Baltimore corner. Where you get the straight dope. Exactly right. Uh and let me find you. I had you queued up with mm-hmm. it. Oh, that's not the right one. Corey Call. Here we go. Oh, apparently I didn't. That's all right. I can Baltimore I can story. explain. Yeah. Hit it. So, um, <laughs> there's a story in the Baltimore Sun this past week where uh, there are a number of Instagram pages that are uh, basically saying who has snitched around town. Uh, and if you don't want to appear on these pages, then you have to send a wireless fund to the owner of the page and they'll remove you cash app, uh, cash app i'm sure i'm sure there's a venmo or <laughs> a paypal <laughs> out there somewhere i'm sure they'll make exceptions but uh some bitcoin might do you well because it's not it's not easily transferable or it's not easily oh. to to uh trace it so yeah they're missing that that bitcoin <laughs> they don't want to find themselves at the peak of the bubble that's the problem <laughs> Uh, you well, no, you can. I think you can use Bitcoin on Cash App, actually. Oh, can you? It might be an envelope. Yeah, it might be uh, one of the. Uh, See, but then you have an account with Cash App, so it doesn't really make sense to oh, yeah, make your anonymous transfer. <laughs> Just like I'm gonna pay cash for this weed when you deliver it to me through this app, I order it through. You know. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I also have so that there's thing. no paper record of what I did here today. I have uh, a Bitcoin <laughs> wallet for reasons. <laughs> Uh, a little uh, side note, unrelated. Do you know OnlyFans takes Bitcoin? Yes. <laughs> gonna, <laughs> nah, I won't do that. I was gonna. <laughs> uh, so basically, we're at this point where snitches get likes, and we have to uh, uh, figure out what we're gonna do about this because uh, we're in this situation largely because. The Baltimore Police Department isn't very good at their job, and the uh, state's attorney's office isn't very good at their job, and the city council and the mayor for the last 50 years have not been doing a very good job, a very good job either. And now we're in the situation where uh, you probably have a pretty good shot of ending up dead if you show up on one of these Instagrams as a snitch, and there's nothing that the police or the state's attorney can do to really save this situation because like if you the, what was the clearance rate last year for murders it was like 42 percent, right uh oh yes for the of, city of all murders of all time and they yeah. were clearing some older cases because they found bodies in houses 
of year on murders, it was lower than that. It was like in the high 20s of like a murder that happened and you cleared it within the the year that it happened. Let's just call it 30 just to give us ourselves an even number here. Right. Because we're the city of Los Angeles. We, we only deal in straight numbers. There's no right. <laughs> there's no fractions going on here. Uh, so 30 they say they clear 30 percent of their cases. So 70 percent of people who are murdering people are not even getting caught. So much nope. as, so as charges are getting brought against them of the 30 percent who are actually getting charged. Like what was the what was the clearance rate on the state's attorney? It was like 10 like percent or something like that, right? Five percent of serious violent crimes are resulting in convictions. So, yeah, of the 30 percent, only five percent of those people are actually going to jail for these crimes and going to jail for these crimes probably means they plead pled down into something else because yeah. that's how most of these things are getting settled these days. But uh, th- th- honest to God, there's a higher oper- there, there's a higher chance that you could murder somebody and not get charged and not get brought in front of a judge for it. And why would you go snitching? Why would you tell yeah. anybody? Because it, it's not like your death is going to be avenged by the person who killed you for witnessing the murder that they did. Like th- there's no, we're in such a dangerous place here because there's nothing that stops this from happening. You know, like the under see- the underground economy of it has now exceeded what the legitimate space can do. And I mean, you really, at this point, that- all you could do is like get Instagram to kick them off, right? Like, right. I mean, you'd have to look to Instagram to do it. But you say the cops and the and the attorney, the state attorney, are not doing their jobs. But it's not even just that. It's that the cops are so bad. They've created a tribal mentality where it's us versus them, where us is the people. And I would rather stand with the murderer who murdered somebody on my block because you, cop, you and your people are worse. I don't know if you remember, but one of my law books got stolen out of my car when we were living in Ridgely's Delight. Mm-hmm. And the dude down the block may or may not have been a drug dealer. I don't want to I don't want to say whether or not he was. Um there was frequent tra- foot traffic in and out of his house. And I just went down to him and I was like, listen, man, I know you live here. I parked kind of in front of your house. Somebody broke in my uh, car. They took my law book. Um, it is what it is, but it's expensive and I don't have that kind of money. And, you know, I, I don't I don't like say anything because you yeah. have your business. I have my business, but I just I need my book. And I, I put uh, a trash bag or a piece of cardboard on the window. And then came back like two days later and the cardboard was still there, but the book was inside <laughs> on the seat. And I was like, so what you're telling me is if I had called the cops, they would have said, you're out of luck. Maybe your insurance will cover it. Sorry, go buy the book again. But I went down to the drug dealer on the street and he essentially shook down every one of his guys, found who took this book, which is worthless to anybody who's not a law student, got it back and then broke into my car a second time to put, yeah. put it in there, but then returned the cardboard to its proper place. And I'm like, you're better than the cops. And yes, murder is not stealing of a book, but at the same time, I get the mentality of like, I'll pick the devil I know over those devils at this point. I have a, I have, it's way more reasonable that you would consider dealing with the person who, (laughs) dealing with the criminal than dealing with the cops. Because like, number one, I don't feel comfortable calling the cops for anything. And most people in West Baltimore don't feel comfortable calling the cop. If somebody broke into your car and stole shit, like most people just say to themselves, well, that's it. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's just gone. That's 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 it. I I had my car broken into a couple times. I never called the cops. 
you know, like I had stuff stolen out of it. I was just like, it's not even worth the time. Like, what do you, what are you, I got to sit here and wait for the cops to show up. And then they give me, they look at me like I'm the wrong person. It's just like, well, you shouldn't have left stuff in your glove box that was locked up. And it's just like, okay, it's not like I left an iPod on the floor. It's like, (laughs) it's like I had things like, you know, hidden away. It's just like, well, you know, people are going to look there first. And it's just like, yeah, but you know, like (laughs) maybe try and find them. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, by the way, if you witness a murder. And the guy who does the murdering knows that you didn't say anything, that you did not snitch. Yeah. That earns you some cachet with people who are maybe the people you should be worried about earning cachet with. You uh, wit- become a witness for the state. It will not keep you from getting your ass shot by another cop. They, yeah. they, there's no earning cachet with the state. You're you're disposable to them. And that's why they don't spend any money on witness protection. But the guys on the street, you do earn cachet with. And that was kind of the thing with the guy. He was just basically like, hey, the blue car, don't fuck with the blue car. The guy, like, he's just mm-hmm. trying to get by. And I told, also told he's him a- I was thinking about being a defense attorney. So I'm sure that didn't hurt. But, you know, like uh, one of those things. He might be a lawyer who could help us. But I, uh, I, I had breakfast with gang members after the uprising. Just like, oh, well, dude, like, what's your situation? I'm just a law student. But, like, I don't want anybody to be in jail. Prison should be abolished. That's where I am. And they're like, hey, man, you want to get pancakes or something? <laughs> like, go get some fucking pancakes. Because I have more in common, they have more in common with me than we have each other with the police. Because we are all likely to be, if you are not blue, you do not matter. And how many stories have we seen from the Baltimore police where it's just like, oh, oh well, what happened? Well, they harassed me for, for 25 minutes until they realized I was so-and-so's daughter or nephew. And then they let me go. Once they were like, hey, I'm real sorry about that. Didn't realize that uh, Sergeant Peppercorn was your, uh, was your uncle. So, yeah, uh, yeah uh, just tell him I said hi and uh, you get on home now. And it's like, the f- well, so if I'm not blue, it doesn't fucking, yeah, that's, that's how it works. So, of course, this, sorry, this, I'm going to just show Corey's thing again. This thing. Makes absolute sense because earn cachet with the people who can pay it off and don't make enemies of the people who are dangerous. Now, the cops are fucking dangerous, but so are I don't know that they're any less dangerous or more dangerous than the guys who are committing murder on the street. I mean, like, you know, we had a, you know, at this point, it's basically a conversation of what is and isn't appropriate to out people for, you know? So we had a conversation about like, I think there was some Instagram account a long time ago that was saying, like, here are the real identities of people who are, you know, Nazis or alt-right members who were at, like, Charlottesville or, you know, any other type of events. Like, it's just like... Here's where they work. Here's where they live. Here's Here's Jimmy David. He lives in Raleigh, North Carolina. He works at AAA Triple... (laughs) Or Triple A Auto Repair or whatever. Like, and then they would lose their jobs and they'd be like, why the fuck are you putting us on this thing saying that we're white supremacists? It's like, well, you are. So what do you, yeah. Yeah, what do you want me to, here's you in a clan at a clan rally. What do you want me to do? Like, uh, I'm not wearing the robe, man. You're holding a Nazi flag, bro. I, I, you know, so, so, and as much as you are okay with like there being a, a far right internet depository where you could find all these people i'm sure the criminal elements in baltimore are saying to themselves there should be a place where there should be a facebook for snitches where we can just look and see all the people who are snitches so we know uh now i I don't agree with this i think that this is bad it's bad for society but i understand it right yeah yeah and understanding are not two are not the same thing here so right but i'm saying like you know like I'm sure there is a version of this for for everyone. Like, you know, there's somebody that that everyone 
quote unquote hates like you know there <laughs> there's a uh, i'm sure you know some republican would love to see a depository of people who like aoc it's like oh i'll never hire this person because they don't know what's up you know like what, whatever uh, it a, may be like there's a repository of uh, secretly gay republicans and it's just like hey so this guy voted against marriage equality but also uh he frequents gay clubs on the weekend yeah and here he is at a club and here he is at an event with his wife and here he is in a bed with another man and it's, okay i'm just i'm just saying it's it's uh, uh, basically what i'm getting at is it's if it's good for the goose it's good for the gander like this yeah. this is sort of the situation we're in if you're gonna look a blind eye on one of these things and you can't look the blind eye on the other because you can't be okay for it just because you don't like it you know and yeah. i mean like instagram is going to have a different opinion of this because they're just going to say like well our platform is not built on extortion but the extortion part <laughs> is the questionable part. If you were just like, nah, it doesn't matter what you do, you're up here now. Yeah. So good luck. Um that's 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 also if, if you I don't know that they're naming the people. They're saying here he is, he is testifying in this case against this person yeah. and tagging, <laughs> tagging the person. Like, Yo, check this out. This is a guy who's testifying against you. But the extortion part of it is a little bit extreme, no matter what. Because by the way, if you are on those Nazi call out threads there's nothing you can do to get your name off of it you yeah. can argue you're not a nazi it doesn't matter they don't post it until they're sure and then you're up that's it so. well in their mind there's no amount of money that you could give them to really overturn the nazism part of it all you know yes. like yeah so like it's just like the point is to hurt you financially and like really it doesn't hurt somebody financially you know like i don't think somebody would be denied a job because they ended up on the snitch list I just think that you're more likely to end up gunned down in the street if you end up on the snitch list, you know? By the way, the snitch list also doesn't help you get a job with the state or uh, the police because, again, you don't earn cachet with people on the state side just for doing the right thing, even though you should, and you don't get any protection from them, even though you should. But you do earn cachet the opposite way, which is, again, why it makes sense. This all makes sense whether or not you agree with it or not. I see why it exists. Yeah. Well, uh... You know what else I see why it exists? What's that? Oh, the anthem.com. Cordo, the anthem.com. Oh, the anthem on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the listener line. 443-219-7595. What's that number again? 443-219-7595. Uh, you can find more of me at my website, CoreyBakerFilmmaker.com, Facebook.com forward slash CoreyBakerFilm, and at LegendsUB5 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, Roberto's back, so as soon as he's under quarantine, I have lots of ideas of things to do, so uh, keep an eye out for that. Rob's got a lot more going on. He's, you should just cut to him. Produce I, I, it. I, I'm, just, I'm just waiting because I've, I've heard this for so long. I've I know, I know. But, you know, now there's, now, there's a, now there's a new stay-at-home order, and I can't go out after 10 p.m., and it's throwing off my whole vibe here, man. <laughs> anyway, so... <laughs> <clears throat> uh, you can find me at Robert and Cheek on all your social networks. Uh, check out robertandcheek.com where you can find more links to everything that I'm doing. Uh, we are wrapping up the uh, Everyman Movie Reviews. Uh, so we're going to go on a hiatus, at least for a little while, until movie theaters reopen, which looks like it's going to be later rather than sooner. So uh, you can find the last few episodes up until the end of the year at uh, um, uh, youtube.com forward slash Rob Cheek or uh, Everyman Movie um on social media uh and of course the rob reviews uh podcast is available on anchor.fm forward slash rob reviews and all the social media is there for that as well 
all that you can find uh, through links uh, at Robert and Cheek. Again, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and TikTok everywhere. Basically, uh, I put more new content out in a week than uh, most people put out in um, a year, probably. Yep, that's me. That's, that's uh, basically it. Uh, but yeah, new, uh, this week I am, did a review of Seaberg. Came out on Sunday. Uh, and on Thursday or Monday, I had, uh, by the way, I did a review of the torture report, which I was so tired while recording it. I called it the terror report yeah. the entire time. And then I was like, well, maybe I just thought it was the wrong name. But the very first thing I said was the torture report. And then interspersed during the review, I said terror report. or terror. I just said terror and torture. I threw them interspersed <laughs> in there. And I'm just like, I just was really tired apparently when I was recording it. So. Uh, but the laundromat, the terror report, I just did it. The yeah. torture report, uh, Seaberg, uh, and uh, the most recent one, which is, I can't remember. Uh, it's a break from all that, though. Um, it's something fun and interesting. So check it out, youtube.com forward slash All right. Well, I think we've done good here today. We've done something. I don't know if it's good. But as always, you're listening to the o- o- the Anthem podcast, part of the o- the Anthem digital network. For Corey, this is Rob. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready for some football? A Wednesday afternoon party. <laughs> we got COVID and <laughs> COVID and bam. We got the most of. We got the most of COVID. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>